from the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. This is Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And today's episode is all about Einstein. And we're featuring my interview with Ron Howard. What does Ron Howard have to do with Einstein? He actually directed the first season of National Geographic's Genius Series. And if you're going to start a series about the world's geniuses, who better to do it with than Einstein? And I bumped into Ron Howard at uh, South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And I nabbed some quality time in conversation with him about that project. To talk about Einstein, I, I, I know the man, I know his work, but I don't know him as well as my friend and colleague, Jana Levin. Jana, welcome back to Star Talk. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. So, uh, Jana, you are a professor of astrophysics at Barnard College in Columbia University. And you're a theorist. Yep. And you care about complicated cosmic stuff. Yeah. Like what the space-time continuum is doing. I would say everything I think about has something to do with space-time. Excellent. So, so do all of us, though, actually, right? If you go Where say, am I going for lunch? When? Example. When? <laughs> and when are we going to have lunch? <laughs> Let's get a cup of coffee. Where? You know, yeah. what? So, yeah, we all think about space-time, whether or not we know it. Yeah. So thanks for your offer commentary on some of uh, what comes out in, in this interview. And we've got Harrison Greenbaum. Harrison, hey. welcome back. Thank you, yeah. Excellent. You, you, uh, my family has a connection to Einstein because my great-grandmother's brother, uh, Louis LeWinter, was part of the people uh, the group that helped get him out of Germany to New York. So we have like a letter in the family family of gratitude from Einstein for helping save wow. him and his wife's life. Wow, you should um, ensure that. Yeah. <laughs> his letter about um, religion sold for something like $2 million recently and a few months ago. I have a mm. fun, couple of phone calls to make. <laughs> <laughs> so, so welcome back. Yeah. And and what's the, you're wearing a shirt with I recognize the yeah. quote uh, that the universe is under no this obligation to make sense to you, and who oh, who said that? Okay. The, Neil deGrasse Tyson. So you wear that on my show. I think. You're Aren't funny. you wearing a quote by him? <laughs> no, I'm not wearing a quote yeah, by right. him. You should have a joke on you. <laughs> no, thanks for wearing the shirt. It's a my it's, it's one of my more important quotes out there. I'm happy to spread the love uh, of this. So it was laundry day. It was the last one I had. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But that shirt is apropos to this topic because uh, so much of Einstein's work doesn't make sense to anybody. It makes sense on paper, maybe, mm -hmm. to physicists who, who study it, but to the mm -hmm. rest of everyone, mm -hmm. what the hell was he saying? <laughs> so hence, the universe is under no mm -hmm. obligation to make sense. So, uh, and just to be clear, so you're, you're a comedian and a magician. Absolutely. Crazy. That doesn't make sense to my parents. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, have to, I have to play the obnoxious way. So, um, does that... <laughs> so... So, is that why you're not married? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I married a musician, and we said, okay, maybe we should just tell our, my parents that you're a magician, and then when they find out you're a musician, they'll be so happy. <laughs> nice. When they find the truth, they'll be happy yeah, with the, less, exactly. the, the greater of the lower truths. Right, exactly. Right, right. It's like the old Sandy Marshall joke, uh, or Jay Marshall joke, where he talked about, you, I want to grow up and be a magician, and his parents were like, you can't do both. <laughs> 
Oh, good. <laughs> That's good. Very good. Very good. Um, and you're tweeting at Harrison Comedy? Yeah. And Jenna, you're tweeting at Jen 11. Yeah. Good. Got your, you don't have to say the real version of you. That is you. Yeah. So uh, why don't we go to our first clip? Uh, first clip of me in conversation with Ron Howard. We all know who Ron Howard was. He's Opie from, from what's the, that show? Um, the Andy Griffith the, Show? The, the Andy Griffith <laughs> Show. And uh, no, he's a life mm -hmm. in Hollywood. And uh, he was in the original musical, uh, The Music Man, as the 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 kid with a lisp hmm. uh, who sang about the... Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, not Louisiana, <laughs> Paris, Prince, New York, Garage. Okay, we have I a may musical. have played that part in, <laughs> in middle school. Oh, he sings too. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so let's check out uh, my interview with Ron Howard talking about Einstein. Your hand at a project of arguably the most important human being in the 20th century. Well, and if, now you now, yeah. what now? You, who, how, how, how did you? Where, <laughs> where did your audacity come from <laughs> to, to say I got this? I, Einstein, uh, Opie's I, got this. All right, so tell me. I'm, I'm uh, listening. Come on. I, uh, uh, well, I've read movie scripts about. Einstein and periods of Einstein's life before, and I never felt that they were uh, that that was the right um, platform for it. It was the right outlet for it. It was always too limiting. And w when this script came from a company called Odd Lot, a writer named Noah Pink did a, a, a first uh, pilot uh, hour, of course Walter's book, and we began to think about breaking it into episodes. His life was so eventful, uh, and I have tackled some true stories now at this point in my life. And uh, what what I was excited by were all of the human twists and turns. And so I do have enough confidence in, in our ability as storytellers, my ability even, you know, uh, to, uh, to sort of get the big ideas across in an accessible way. Because we're not doing your job. We're, we, you know, we are telling the story of a life and, and we're trying to make it as clear and be as accurate as we can in terms of the science. But this is not the this is not the deep understanding. This this is a, this is a more holistic and it's and it's more humanistic. And 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 he has so many twists and turns in his life. Uh, it, it's impacted by his own behavior. It turns out he was kind of a bohemian dude in a way, you know, and a thinker. Uh, he had a lot of relationships and working at a patent office because yes. he he was a bit of an outsider. Uh, you know, his his Judaism and religion worked against him. In Germany, uh, yes. In Germany yeah. at that time, in a serious way, um, you know, he wound up being on lists. Hit, you know, like mm -hmm. let's get it, let's get him. And so he faced all kinds of hurdles. And the surprising thing about Einstein is sort of is his is kind of where he kept showing up and having an impact throughout that first half or so of the 20th century and the lasting reverberation. Of, of what he learned and the discoveries he made. And, and I think as a dramatist, this is probably the most exciting thing, how close the world came uh, on numerous occasions to sort of blocking this guy's ability to sort of offer us his insights. Yeah, so uh, that's a, a good sort of profile of the series. It's, it's mm -hmm. Einstein as a person, and you get to know who he is and what he does and why he mattered. And it was inspired by the book uh, by Walter Isaacson, Einstein, His Life and His Universe, I think it was. Uh, Einstein's Life and the Universe, uh, back in 2007. It was a best-selling yeah. book. So, so Jana, what, how did Einstein change our view of the world? Because up until Einstein, when I think of classical physics, it's mm -hmm. things fall, things are heavy, there's mm -hmm. that's there, this is here. Yeah. You know, we kind of, the, the universe 
was a manifestation of how it's it should be. It, how as it's our, experienced. How, how our senses yeah. bring it to yeah. us. So what happened with Einstein? Well, uh, one aspect of, of Einstein's revolution that I love the most is that he... Uh, wanted to adhere to such simple principles that he was willing to throw away things that seem so experientially real, just what you're describing, um, in order to, to adhere to those principles. So when you say instance, throw away, you mean my ex life experience might prevent me from thinking the way I should. So let me discard right. that for the moment and open up my head. Yeah, to realize that just because this is the familiar experience we have, we are these limited creatures. You know, we know that we can't see across the entire spectrum of light. We have a very narrow band that we can see, and we discovered there's light out there well outside what the eyes can see. We Wait need a minute, to build we can see visible light. Visible light. Aptly <laughs> <laughs> <Should be laughs> named. Yeah. <laughs> because the sun shines, peaks in the yellow, so do our eyes. I mean, mm -hmm. clearly we're bound by this. We can't see x-rays and gamma rays, but they're out there and we can build other instruments. So, so even just the idea that the world is much better than our perception. Just to make it clear, because not, not everyone knows this, mm -hmm. that these words that we use in so many different contexts, ultraviolet, infrared, mm -hmm. x-rays, radio mm -hmm. waves, gamma rays, mm -hmm. uh, that's all light. That's all light. It's just light we cannot yeah. see, and you need special detectors and machines yeah. to use them, to generate them. And our eyes uh, see this very narrow part of this entire electromagnetic mm -hmm. spectrum, and we just see the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, vi Roy G. Biv. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, continue. Sorry, well, that so was no, my... Except for gamma, so, which you can see when you get me very angry. Uh, oh, yes, Mr. Hulk. Yes. Okay. So, Einstein was faced with a very serious constraint, a very serious limit, which was the limit of the speed of light. And this was discovered before he was uh, working on this, that, that light had a fundamental speed that it seemed to be a fact of nature, which is very bizarre, super strange. I mean, the speed of a basketball is not a fact of nature, right? Mm -hmm. It can stop, it can go faster, it can go slower. Light can do none of those things. It can only go at just one precise speed. And most people were trying to say, well, that's clearly wrong, because that doesn't make any sense. Now, what is speed? Speed is distance you travel over time. And so Einstein said, divided I believe time. it. Divi mm -hmm. Right, divided by time. And Einstein said, I do think that that's right. And there, was, there were reasons why he was driven by that limit to force him to say there must be something wrong with distance and time, something wrong with space and time and the way we conventionally think Whoa. about it. So he put all his confidence in the speed and not in his life experience of space and time. That's right. He knew one had to go. And Ooh. you could ask, why did he choose the speed of light over everything else? And that is because, imagine this thought experiment. I'm floating in empty space, and I don't think I'm moving. Now, I think I'm alone. I don't see the Earth. I don't see anything. I have no frame of reference. Suddenly, Bob, another astronaut, floats past me. And I say, Bob, you're moving. You know, And I only know you're moving because you're moving past me. But Bob's experience is exactly that he's not moving. And he's floating in empty space, and he's stationary, and I floated past him. And it was very important to Einstein. Wait, who's right? That yeah. right. Ooh. That that neither and how do you know of them. His name was Bob. Right. <laughs> It, and obviously the answer, it was Bob. No, no, so precisely. They knew each other? Yeah. So, I want to know the backstory, the little, friendship. You know, little, like, uh, you know, um, car auto shop name tag. Name tag. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> so he thinks about this. Neither of them can be preferred. And so he's will, he believes that the speed of light is a fact of nature. And so he says they both have to measure the speed of light, even though they're moving relative to each other, which just seems impossible. And so he said, it's so important to me that neither of them be preferred, because how would you possibly choose? That I would rather suggest that they have different perceptions of space and time from each other. And that is why, although they're measuring the same speed of light in an impossible circumstance, it's because they are not perceiving the same space and the same time. Janet, that is the most brilliant 
explanation Thank you. of the birth of relativity that I have ever heard. I really greatly appreciate that. I've worked on it for years. I've thought <laughs> okay. about it. <laughs> well, it just spilled out it of your mouth. Like, yeah, I, I just had a cup of coffee and there it is. No, no, no. That is brilliant. So so uh, if I can add some some punctuation to the end of that sentence, he wrapped everything else around the requirement that they both measure the same speed of light. That's right. And in doing so, it distorts time. It distorts space, and it interferes with our classical understanding of nature. And he did that to preserve the speed of light. Exactly. So space and time are relative, but the speed of light is absolute. Man. It could have been called the absolute theory. <laughs> if Einstein had a microphone back then, he'd drop them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go around nobody, the room Nobody would have a microphone left <laughs> after that. Uh, so t- uh, tell me about his, his famous year, 1905. So it's this incredible year where Einstein is actually unemployed. Annus Mirabilis. The miraculous year. Yeah. Einstein's technically unemployed as a physicist, although he's gamefully employed as a patent clerk. And he has what he calls the physics department. The deadbeat. Which is a great right, yeah. job. No, literally one of his professors called him a lazy dog. Oh, man. And, um, and Einstein said of himself, you know, when I was a student, I was no Einstein. <laughs> what did they say before Einstein? Because now when you use something dumb, like, all right, Einstein. But like before Einstein, I was like, all right, Newton. All right, Maxwell. Rutherford. So list what he did that year. So that year, he discovered, he, he writes down the special theory of relativity, which we just discussed. Um, he discusses something called the photoelectric effect, which mm-hmm. has to do with the quantum nature of light. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it verifies that light has a quantum particle nature as well as a wave nature, which was shocking. Mm-hmm. And Brownian du- motion... The duality, the wave particle exactly. duality. Exactly. We yeah. think of light as a wave, and he showed that it actually behaves like a particle under certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And Brownian motion was similarly about the quantum aspect of matter. So you imagine dust floating around in the sunbeam in the window. That's an example of Brownian motion, where the dust particle just sort of randomly moves around. And that's because there's all these quantum, these little... Um, Atoms are, are, they're, are inter- they're colliding. Um, and then finally, after special relativity, which is actually technically a consequence of special relativity, he writes the paper of the most famous equation in modern history, which is E equals mc squared, mm. um, where he realizes that um, energy is like um, the time component in some sense of momentum, and it has um, the energy of moving um, in space, has a kinetic energy, the energy in moving in time has an energy, even if you're not moving in space. And that is E equals mc squared. And that's contained in the matter itself. That's right. It's like the kinetic energy of your motion in time. Yeah, and thus spotting a ton of terrible tattoos. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people with eagle on C-squared who does not know that that's what it means. You can see them on Star Talk social media. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are the good ones. And then he turned 26. And then he turned 26. That was at 25? <laughs> yeah. So he, I'm 32 this, and I've like been eliminated from two reality shows? Is that the best thing? <laughs> all oh, of this no. was sitting in his drawer that he called the physics department in the patent office. Mm, mm, mm. Let's pick up my next clip with Ron Howard talking about the Genius series that aired on National Geographic Channel. Again, when we think of Einstein, we don't typically think of him in the context of other of the scientific community at the time because he's so singular. Right. But uh, looking at the treatments for several of your episodes, you reach in to places oh. where other scientists who are famous in their own right 
Right. Actually, play a role. Einstein uh, met them. Can you name a couple? Uh, of them? Uh, well, you'll have to help me because uh, radiation. Uh, uh, oh well, there's uh, Wilhelm Röntgen. Yes, where he was, yes. Uh, and, he, he discovered X-rays. And, uh, and got, he he won the first Nobel Prize in physics. Right. It was all timed out for when Alfred uh, Nobel set up the foundation. But and uh, of course, and then Leonard, who was mm -hmm. the, who uh, taught Maleva Marich. Maleva Marich was a very influential uh, person in his life. As uh, you know, Einstein's first wife. Yeah. And um, you some know, say she might have come up with relativity herself. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some some say that she definitely was. After living with Einstein, the relativity <laughs> thing. Oh or, my gosh! Uh, Time got stretched. Uh, I don't know. Uh, she, she, <laughs> <laughs> she, she was she was a great mathematician and helped him a lot with the math and yeah. was and was definitely there with him and he needed he needed uh, uh, co you know he needed collaborators he needed people to work with and bounce ideas. And Marie um, Curie is the character in this as yes, well. Yes, we have Fritz Haber, uh, mm -hmm. later another another winner, very important uh, uh, factor in his life. And but Einstein was a was also very much a humanist. You know, unlike say John Nash. Who was sort of focused in his world and brilliant, but troubled in other ways. And, mathematician and, and, and a beautiful mind. Mathematician and a beautiful mind. Uh, you know, Einstein he played, he played the violin. He loved sailing. He loved nature. He loved women. He liked the world. You know, and he was interested. And there, that, that's a combination right there. <laughs> violin, sailing, nature, women, the world. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and then there's, and then there's. Is the there physics. anything left after that? Huh? Then there is that physics thing. The physics. You, oh, uh, boy, the physics on the side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so Janet, let me ask you: How, how important is collaboration? If, if you're if you're if you're a lone genius, mm -hmm. does collaboration even matter? Um, I, do you need my help? Yes. Harrison's, you know, secretly all these years he's got, been, he's got, uh, he's got had my your, back. He's got your back. Had my back. Uh, uh, it, or is lone genius a trope that we want to be true but never is? I I mean, I it's not true for me or in my experience of other. Physicists. I know some very brilliant physicists. I don't know any lone geniuses. And one of the most wonderful aspects of theoretical physics is collaboration. And it's one of the things I've tried to explain to other people. Physicists don't like to be alone. I mean, there are times you need to be alone, but there's nothing more adorable than seeing physicists sit around a table and you watch the rhythm of how they're talking. There's splurts, right? There's this energetic roar. And then they'll Is that go a word, splurt? I think I just made it up. <laughs> Great word. What did I mean? Let us, splurges, let us, splurges. Let what did I mean, let Neil? Let it be a word. Go. <laughs> Can you guys edit that post-production? No, loving the word. It's a splat and a splurge at the same time. I'm loving it. Go. So, a splurge. Oh. Our engineer just looked up the <laughs> definition. A, a, a sudden It's definitely not what I meant. That's even saliva. worse. That's even worse. I used Slurp. a real word incorrectly. It okay. does not happen often. I'm pretty good with my vocabulary. So, um, But they'll, they'll have these very energetic conversations where they're talking intensely, and then you see them just kind of go quiet. How many people, four or five people, sit around together and will comfortably sit quietly for minutes? Usually you have to talk about sports or something. Right. No, they right. sit quietly for minutes, and sometimes I just watch it from the other side of the room mm -hmm. and then and then somebody pops up again at, with the next idea that they okay. had clearly all collectively gotten stuck on mm. well that's what happened a thousand years ago in baghdad uh, a city open to travelers and traders mm -hmm. of all different cultures and backgrounds and beliefs mm -hmm. and across the table ideas were shared mm. ideas were contested and only the best ideas rose up out of that and over that period you had the golden age of islam where mm -hmm. great advances in mathematics and medicine and, and, and engineering. So, yeah, 
across the table is a major mm -hmm. part of the progress of science. So thanks for bringing that. Absolutely, um, and at the blackboard is for to, pleasure. Uh, <laughs> it is. Thank God it's not like a table of comedians because when we sit around, we just insult each other excessively. Just, and no one gets a word in. Yeah, exactly. We, we got to take our first yelling. break. We're talking about Einstein with Jan 11. And when we return, we're going to get inside Einstein's mind on Star Talk. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bringing space and science down to earth. You're listening to Star Talk. We're back on Star Talk, featuring my interview obtained back in 2017 with the one and only Ron Howard who so many of us know as a child actor, and then he had his entire life unfold in Hollywood, right on through Happy Days as uh, playing a teenager. In his later years, he's a director. And in this particular example, he directed the multi-part genius series inaugurated with Albert Einstein, which aired on the National Geographic Channel. So this whole Star Talk is about Albert Einstein. So let's lead off with my next clip interviewing Ron Howard, and we're going to get inside Albert Einstein's mind. Let's check it out. If there's a lesson as an ambitious, creative, brilliant person, what he did was he would, he would look at, he would apply this sense of logic to his life and, and also uh, problems of science. And if there was a gap, he, and he went, hmm, that to that, that's an assumption Let's dig into that assumption. 
And that was his, that was sort of his little superpowers. This, he was willingness to go there. This is the power of science literacy. Mm -hmm. Not as measured by how many things you know, but what is, how is your, how is your brain wired for inquiry? Right, right. How do right. you ask the next question? And, that is something that's not taught in school. And so that was so unmanifest, exhibits it, it's like, whoa, look yeah. what that person's got. Yeah. And I think, it's teachable. Just it, it requires a kind of an endurance, but somebody yeah, has to support that. Kind right. of a, you know. You gotta keep at it. Yeah. Because the answer is always not just there. Right. If it was just there, somebody else would have had the answer. Yeah. So you gotta uh, dig deeper. Now, fortunately, as you know, uh, like Tesla, he was a visualist. Tesla, the person. Right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> it was a person <laughs> before it was a car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are we uh, clear on that? Okay. Well, Tesla could visualize, you know, the, you know, uh, uh, problems being solved, plans uh, right. materializing, and and of course Einstein was great at these as the at the thought problem. The great thought and, experiment. Thought yes. experiments. Yeah. Yeah. What in German? Uh, uh, Gedanken. Uh, well, our, our show's in English. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Jana, the thought experiment. What, what word was I trying to come up with there? Mm -hmm. the Gedanken. No, Gedanken experiment? Yeah, Gedanken experiment. Oh, just a Gedanken experiment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's thought experiment. Yeah. And um, I mean, people in English say Gedanken still, experiment. We still do. And as, physicists will say it that As way. an homage to Einstein, because yeah. he was German. Uh -huh. and he, right, exactly. So what is a thought experiment? So uh, a thought experiment is literally I'm when you just... they're cheaper just, than real experiments. They're significantly <laughs> cheaper. You need some, like, food and coffee. Yeah, yeah. a little caffeine, <laughs> A little that's caffeine, it. you know. Um, it's a way of challenging what you think you know and understand by eliminating all of the extraneous stuff. So for instance, we already talked about astronauts floating in empty space. Now I cannot do that experiment in reality. I can have astronauts floating near the Earth, but they're gonna see the Earth, it's confusing. So the thought experiment the is Earth to is remove- The Earth is their reference frame. The reference frame, and so that confuses this argument I'm trying to make. So the thought experiment is imagine that the astronaut is floating in empty space with no frame of reference. And then by eliminating all of the stuff that was confusing you, all of the extraneous interferences, you allow your thoughts to hone in on only the essentials. And then stuff become, becomes clear. If you're Einstein, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he taught us. <laughs> he taught us this as a technique, and we absolutely use it all the time. Mm -hmm. So imagine I'm standing at the event horizon, and I do this. Imagine this is an 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 eliminating event horizon of a black hole. Right, yeah. event horizon of a black hole. Whatever it is, I can we can invent all the time experiments that we only do in our minds. Mm. And so what that also means is you need to know enough physics to constrain the idea, but be open enough to new physics to have mm -hmm. a new a new discovery emerge mm -hmm. from that thought. Yeah, here's a beautiful thought experiment that um, is due to Einstein that he called the happiest thought of his life. Um, he was thinking about gravity, and so when we think we're heavy in our chairs, we think that's gravity. Lying in bed, it feels heavy, standing in an elevator, heavy on our feet. He imagined, uh, well, I'm gonna do it in the elevator context, you feel heavy on your feet, there's something wrong with all those examples, is that there's something in the way, something extraneous. The elevator, the chair, the bed. Why do I need those things to talk about gravity? Why do I need an elevator chair and a bed? So instead, he cuts the cable of the elevator. And he says, imagine what would happen if you were falling freely in this elevator. It has no window, so you can't see anything outside. So before you cut the elevator, mm -hmm. you're standing in the floor of the elevator, you and you have your, a weight. Right. If you dropped your keys, it would fall to your feet. Mm -hmm. Okay? You dropped your water bottle, it would fall to your feet. You cut the cable 
suddenly you're floating in the elevator cab because you and the elevator are falling at the same rate. Your keys, you let go of them, are floating in front of you. Your water bottle is floating in front of you. You would feel as though you were an astronaut in the International Space Station. In fact, you wouldn't be able to do an experiment uh, that told you you weren't an astronaut in the International Space Station. And until, of course, the unhappy end when you hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Not on and Space Station. Where you realize you're on Twilight Zone Tower of Terror and you have a lot of fun. <laughs> so he called this the happiest thought of his life because he realized what, what you're doing in a gravitational field when it's just you and gravity is you're falling freely in the space-time around... So to him, gravity was no weight at all. Was no weight at all. It's weightlessness, not heaviness. So Earth is weightless in orbit yeah. around the sun. That's right. So when you talk about how heavy is the Earth, right. it's just zero. Yeah. And so the astronauts in the International Space Station are doing that experiment, but just in a better way. They're falling, but they're also cruising at such a rapid rate, Sideways. parallel to the Earth, yeah. that, that they always clear the horizon. They mercifully never crash into the surface of the Earth. and um, But they are always in free fall. The International so Space if Station... Fall, <clears throat> if they fall a mile downward, they've traveled so far along the Earth that Earth's curved downward a mile. That's right. So they, they just fall... So they are falling, but they never they hit the Earth. They fall on a circle. And there's Einstein's second important idea, which leads to general relativity. The first is you're just falling around um, the Earth. The second is if you can fall in a circle... Space-time is curved. What you're really doing is you're falling along the natural curves in space-time. And it leads him to the idea of the general theory of relativity that gravity is really curved space-time. The lesson here is Einstein was a badass. Yeah. <laughs> I think we got this I mean, one. it's some beautiful stuff. It's some beautiful, beautiful she. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you something. don't say the T, you don't have to bleep yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no bleeping it. It's some beautiful she. Is it also something very important happened in relativity class when you took it? Oh, yes. How did you know this? I Googled it. Oh, you Googled it. I met my wife in relativity yeah. class. Did you know that? I did not know Under that. John Archibald Wheeler. A That's big relativist amazing. Of the I, middle. of course, know your wife. Yeah. She's lovely. Yeah. Uh, and she got her uh, PhD in mathematical physics. Amazing. And so, yeah. So that's thanks to Einstein also. <laughs> and, and I, so I, 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 I noticed her first in that class. That's when I first noticed that's her. And then relativity. <laughs> yes, I, I met her in relativity class. Yeah. Um, so Einstein's not the only genius in the world. Mm -hmm. A good one and important to us. I'm our, right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how many people remember or know that Ron Howard directed the movie A Beautiful Mind. Oh, right. Which is about John Nash, right. the economist. Yeah, after uh, the book. Tortured yeah. uh, mm -hmm. genius. You know, that's and mathematical economist. Mathematical. And, but mm -hmm. he got his yeah. uh, Nobel Prize in economics mm -hmm. uh, for his work. So I asked Ron Howard about that. Check it out. With Beautiful Mind, I wanted to understand what those eureka moments were like. I talked to, I went to, I went to university to university, talk, you know, talking to people who knew Nash. Do you know uh, Simon Chappelle? Does that name ring? No, no, no. A mathematician at NYU, knew Nash a little bit and a very colorful Hungarian professor. And he was able to explain it in, in very similar terms. He said, all right, look, here's, here's the way I would describe Don Nash and people who of that sort of ilk. He said, if you say that science, scientists, elite scientists are sort of on the boundary of what's known and unknown, and we have the light and the dark. So you sort of say they're, the, they're those people who are pushing the boundaries. That's, 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 you know, those are those elite scientists. He said, there are three types. And the people on the very front, all they want to do is push the light out a little further, take what they've got. That discovery that it exists, that there's more that exists, is kind of enough for them. They don't care about application. They toss it over to their shoulder to the next 
uh, you, you know, a sort of level of genius that says, oh, wow, I know what to do with this, turns it into something. And then he said, there's a third type, and I think this was John Nash. And if it's a war against darkness, they're uh, paratroopers. And they go into the dark, and they come back to the light and show you what they've found. Uh, so so and, they, don't, they don't leave a safe foot no, in the circle. No, they just they go all the way in. Feet. And he said, some of them don't make it. Yeah, not, well, some of them like, don't come back. Don't right, come back. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. I, I agree entirely yeah. with that. And the risks of putting both feet out of the circle are, are real, but you're right. You, every now and then you need one yeah. to do that because they'll find something where there were no no preconceived path there. Yes, right, right. Because right. the parachuper is, is in the breeze that, right. that you don't even know where the breeze came from. <laughs> right, right. And there's a crocodile pit here, <laughs> and there's a pot of gold there, yeah. and half of them bring back the pot of gold. <laughs> so, Jen, I don't know if you know, I was at Princeton while John Nash, when John Nash got oh, the Nobel realize, Prize, yeah. and I'd occasionally see him walking by. Mm -hmm. My office uh, was adjacent to, uh, in, the, in the astrophysics building there, Peyton Hall, it's called. Yeah. Uh, there's a long walkway where I had a very big sweep of mm -hmm. traffic. I could see people going back and forth. Occasionally, I'd see him, and he was just always just deep in hmm. thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know they're deep in thought because they're not looking where they're walking. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just kind of a, yeah. the head bobs, and yeah. there isn't... Now, not everyone knows how to read that. It's very important that you can read that so you respect... Oh, yeah, give it the that space. ...that that person is working. Yeah, <laughs> at, they're at the office, yeah, like the brain office. Exactly. And um, other people can walk by and they don't even know they're there. Mm -hmm. So could you do you have any way to compare one genius mind to another? Maybe Einstein to John Nash? No, I absolutely believe that... Minds are unique, which is why it's frustrating that we do in science sometimes limit the pool of people we look at or we think about or we look at a scientist or we think about a scientist. And We're also, restricting access to the range of genius that is out that's there. That's right. And all minds are different. We do get trained. And sometimes the training's too severe. So as in that clip, the people who are more afraid to go out into the darkness, the training is so severe that you are trying to replicate one great mind with their progeny. Because they have a sense of progeny. how that worked. Right. So they're trying to duplicate that. Right. But the, the, the ones that blow us away are the ones that just are different. You know, Kurt Gödel or Georg Cantor as mathematical examples. You know, the Einstein, the John Nash. I mean, these are people who just thought differently. And... Um, and it's a wonderful thing. So why why are some sort of normal and others, they're not socially, mm -hmm. they might say they just went crazy. They went off the deep end mentally. Yeah. Whatever the proper word is, I don't know. But the point is, yeah. we see genius manifested in all the spectrum of mental stability. And mm -hmm. I'm just curious, I do you have any insight there? Well, I have thought about this mm -hmm. quite a lot. Okay. <laughs> not necessarily for personal reasons. <laughs> no, yeah, no, of course not. There's research from other people. Yeah. My friend, Your friend. My friend was concerned. Yes. Um, no, so um, I do think that it's not just the genius of the mind. It's the kind of person who has not invested primarily in their own comforts, necessarily. Their Ooh. own career ambitions probably don't even consider what they do as a career. Or not even value social interaction social the way interaction, so many others do. So that goes undeveloped. Escalating the ranks, um, you know, securing the most money. Um, mm -hmm. And so people... Kissing ass. Kissing ass. Yes, yes. So people who are already on that fringe and have that mind are in a kind of super precarious position and also a super wonderful position. They're the ones with the opportunity to go into the complete darkness because they're going to, because they have that, they, they don't have the attachment to what they'll lose if they do. Ooh, 
that is brilliant. <laughs> and Man. then, yeah, that's a you recipe know, Newton, for a little. He single-handedly invents, the, the, discovers the laws of motion, laws of optics. Uh, on a dare, he invents integral and differential calculus. <laughs> Then he turned 26. He had great hair also. I think there's a thing about hair. Like, Newton always had those, like, flowing locks. Well, I think... I think those, genius is in the follicle. I, uh, when we come back, I have some insight into those flowing locks. You can't okay. see me, but I'm fluffing my hair. <laughs> yeah, genius. Absolutely genius. Uh, Janet genius locks. Uh, when we come back, more on Isaac Newton's hair uh, on Star Talk, where we're talking about Albert Einstein and his genius. This is Star Talk. We're back on Star Talk, an edition where we're exploring Einstein and his genius mind. And I've got the help of Jan 11. Jana. So good to be here. I didn't know until this. <laughs> This episode of Star Talk, how deep into Einstein you are. Oh, yeah. It's, it's more than, it's not just regular <laughs> physics knowledge. It is, you know this man. The man is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and Harrison, you welcome. Yes, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm I don't know why I'm welcoming you. all these hair-related questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm welcoming you. who's losing his. Speaking of mustaches, yeah. What? <laughs> I'm the only one who doesn't have one. A mustache? <laughs> On the set. It's a sign of genius. <laughs> that or the flowing hair. So we got it, we got it all covered. We've covered the whole thing. Um, yeah, so uh, in this segment, we, we talk about other dimensions of Einstein. Uh, and my conversation with Ron Howard, who directed the first installment of National Geographic's Genius Series. Uh, and that first series was about Einstein. Let's check out Einstein's politics in this segment. Do you uh, get into uh, his work on, you said he was a humanist. He had very strong statements about uh, racism in Definitely. America especially, uh, and just he, how people are treated. He had very, and so, yes. so the politics of Einstein. Well, he gets, he gets dragged into it, and during the course of his, of his life, you know, he became, uh, so eminent, so important, and with that controversy, especially given his, his religion, but he was dragged into that. You know, I mean, he was, they asked him to be the first prime minister of Israel. Uh, he, he when Israel was first birth. Yeah. Onto the scene. Uh, and uh, he was sort of dragged kicking and screaming into it. And then at a certain point, again, I think applying that logic that he did to his personal life, that he did to his, 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 his work in science, I think he felt that, um, you know, he was an absolute pacifist, but... He believed that um, uh, that you know the bomb needed to be developed because the, he knew he knew he knew the people who were who were working on the problem in Germany. And he wrote the equation that enabled it in the first place. Right. E equals mc squared. Right. That's where uh, you get the energy out of the atom. Which he didn't work actively on the bomb, largely because Hoover didn't want him to, and he didn't really, I don't think, really wanted to. And later fought hard. Uh, along with I don't know a number of other eminent scientists to uh, to try to convince the government not to not to ever drop it on people. Janet, tell me uh, about Einstein and the bomb. 
Well, is that I, simple or is it complex? I think it's quite complex, and I think it was for so many of the fa the the originators of the ideas of quantum mechanics that went into the creation of the bomb. Um, there's a great line in the play Copenhagen where the character Niels Bohr, who is one of the inventors of quantum mechanics, says to his wife, "I don't think they thought of a way to kill people using quantum mechanics." Oh, <laughs> and uh -huh. of course, <laughs> wow. wow, right? <laughs> that, because to I them, saw that it was play. Just, I don't remember that line. Yeah, the, okay. it, because to them, it was just ideas, the world of ideas. They had no intention of making a weapon. It was inconceivable. Uh, and here they are under the pressure of the war and they they urgently feel they need to build the bomb because of the implications of their the other their colleagues. Of the community of physicists. Because their colleagues that they developed quantum mechanics with, some of them are on the other side. Mm. And um, and so, and then they have this incredibly complicated relationship because almost all of them really uh, pull back after the use of the bomb um, in the war and urge um, uh, control and regulation and limitations and, and and don't want the H bomb the, hydro, uh, the hydrogen bomb the next which level is up. much more powerful. Uh, weren't there some who pulled back after they saw that Germany was collapsing? Yes, some people thought they should not have used the bombs in the war. Right, because Japan was not working on the bomb. That's right, uh, as and I Germany was it. out of the picture. And Germany was out of the picture, That's so right. therefore the motivation, the right. triggering motivation to right. make the bomb in the first place had evaporated. That's right. That's right. Right, right. And um, and so, of course, there must be just tremendous, just complicated experiences. I mean, right. Oppenheimer um, <laughs> had the line, we are destroyer of worlds. Do you yes, remember exactly yes. what the line was? When he first sees the text. Uh, we are, yeah, it's the, from destroyer the Bhagavad Gita. Destroyer of worlds, yes. yes. Uh, I, um, I am... Something. I am destroyer um, of worlds. Yes, yeah. I am death. I don't remember. Okay, well, mm -hmm. well the engineer will Google it. <laughs> I see him, his fingers dabbing away. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so, so I think the feelings were complicated at every stage, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, and of course, here we are, where we're still a species, the only species we know of on Earth that's capable of wiping itself out. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I've I've. Uh... <laughs> I feel like the dolphins could do it if they wanted to. <laughs> they could figure out some way to get rid of themselves. But they're better shepherds of their own survival. That's right. And therefore it won't happen. Jumping out of the water, like, oh my God. But it why is, are the dolphins doing this? It's fascinating. Dolphins don't try to manipulate their environment to the extent that we do. And mm -hmm. that is just fascinating difference between human beings and other intelligent species. Mm -hmm. Although uh, beavers totally manipulate their environment. Yeah, We're that's not the true. only ones in town. That's true. Yeah. Right. Does their technology escalate? <laughs> or is it the same as it was? <laughs> The Adam Forever. Bomb of Beavers. <laughs> We're going to dam the like whole earth. <laughs> I have this balloon filled with termites. Oh, no. Mass destruction. <laughs> so on this next clip with Ron Howard, I had he's a movie director in his later life. So I had to ask him, and I had to sneak into this topic and ask him about science and movies. Check it out. So you combine all these factors. He's a brilliant scientist. Uh, he's got a social life. He's, he's got a bohemian dimension to him. Yeah. He's uh, politically controversial. He shapes 20th century politics with his discoveries. And he's, he, he moves in circles of the shakers and movers of the day. Mm. Uh, why wasn't this done decades yeah. ago? Well, why do we have to wait till 2017 I, to hear all of it? Again, I honestly think it's what's happening in television and, and uh, ch a channel like National Geographic with everything that it stands for saying that, you know, yes, uh, we want you to do it. We want you to do it with authenticity. We're willing to, we're willing to support it and market it. And it fits, you know, it fits what, what our audience needs. And this I is a really exciting answer. time. I have a different answer. What's that? They figured out they can make money off of science. Uh, <laughs> hey, okay, well that, right? uh, yeah. Uh, and we have good evidence of that. Uh, for example, uh, 
though not this network, of course, uh, the Big Bang Theory, mm -hmm. though they be caricatures, mm -hmm. you are eavesdropping on the geeky lives of people who are completely scientifically literate, and it's the number one show on television. So anyone who's paying attention to that fact is yeah. saying, okay, I want to get me some science yeah, yeah, and yeah. money off of that. Well, I'll tell you, with Apollo 13, when I had the opportunity to make that movie, that was the first story that I got involved with that was based on real events. And I was, I was, I was mortified by it because I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to be as creative and inventive and cinematic and so forth. I'm going to be, you know, sort of locked into these facts. And at the end of the day, I found it was very, very liberating because when people know it's based on real events they really lean in it's a different kind of mindset and so you were worried as a creative director that the facts would constrain your storytelling yes and that it would and and that you know i might not be able to be as dramatic or as exciting as i wanted to be and i realized that's not the point with this kind of story in fact the facts are part of the entertainment value they're part of what the mystery that's part of the discovery so jenna do you have a favorite movie about a scientist Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I've actually been interested... There's a few. There have been a few. There have been a few. I have to say, I got a little more interested in scientists in plays, um, which then were turned into movies. We talked about Excuse Copenhagen. Me, <laughs> no, I, I know. It sounds that way. theater. <laughs> <laughs> hilariously, My I... My favorite scientist is Rick and Morty. <laughs> I know, but hilariously, I kind of hate theater. I mean, this is one of the family jokes. Like, I almost always walk out halfway through a what? play. Like, Wait, I am not that? a huge fan of theater. What? Like, it's Whoa. really hard for me to get over the bump where I love it. So I'm sorry okay. about that out there. I know that's oh. bad. I think oh. I just muddied my... I think I just lost Turn off the every... Microphone now. I, no, do I have to leave? Do I have to leave? It depresses here. the part of me that is a performing artist and puts I'm on so shows. Sorry. And the Jewish part where you paid for the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so I, but I do love books and I love, I love reading and writing. And so plays just naturally came more easily to me on paper. So I was reading them. So I read Proof, um, which is a fantastic play about math. Um, I saw it on Broadway. Yeah, but it's a fictionalized story. Mm -hmm. um, did you see it with Mary Louise Parker? Yes, I did. I heard it was fantastic. Well, see, I, I, became I didn't see it. Oh, yeah, I, I became latter-day friends with her. Oh, lovely. talked about that, yes. Um, yes. So it's, it's about a woman who is a math genius, but no one knows it. And is it her father or her, her brother? Her father is also in Math Genius, but then goes, everybody gets, knows it. Get, gets addled later on, but <laughs> no one knows it. But she keeps writing the theorems down, and they think it's his and not hers. And every, and no one believes it could ever be her because mm -hmm. the, the dad was the genius that everyone knew. Mm -hmm. And so it's really so I, a terrific play. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's brilliantly. And written. and that did get turned into a movie. Mm -hmm. um, and then another one that comes to mind is Arcadia by Tom Stoppard, um, which where the characters talk about chaos and complexity, mm -hmm. and iteration and computation, and it's just and it's a multi-layered, beautiful, like really interesting. So those are it's more about the characters I think than biopics okay, sort of so stuff. I asked her what favorite movie and she gives me <laughs> the books of plays. That's just, okay. My nerd level is deep. That the millions of people have read. Right, okay. You're talking to someone who thought it was biopic. I didn't know it was biopic for years. So I wondered if Ron Howard was holding anything back, something he wasn't fully letting on about his life and his personality. Check it out. Do you have some secret geek underbelly <laughs> that is only you're carefully letting us know about movie uh, by movie, uh, but in fact, you go home and you just <laughs> geek man? I is do. This I do. I, I, I do look at the Science Times. You okay. Know, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I, uh, you know, but I, I skim it. Mm -hmm. uh, this would be the, uh, in Tuesday, the section of the New York Times that features science. Right, right. Okay. I, I, I enjoy that. Uh, but it's, it, what I, what I discovered 
because uh, by the way, my you know my 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 tenth grade science teacher, Mr. Dowd, would be you know if he's still alive, and I kind of hope he is. I uh, you know he would be smirking to see me in a conversation with you. Did you mess up in his class? Uh, he, did like, you? What did you it do? Was, it what, was, what, it, what, 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 all right, uh, <laughs> confess here and now. What, did you blow up the chem lab? What, what happened? What happened? There, were, there were no explosions, but uh, you know, I wasn't too big on dissecting the frog. Uh, the, Neither was the frog. <laughs> I'm sure. And I, you know, and I couldn't quite remember the new, I don't know, nucleuses and other things at that time. And I was, uh -huh. you know, so I was a little lost. But he, he got me through it. He got me through it. And, but no, it's really that uh, it, it's the drama. I mean, through Apollo 13 and other stories, I realized that this kind of curiosity that I do have about how the world works. I've always been fascinated by uh, teams of people who are trying to problem solve under a kind of duress. And I began to realize the sort of pressure that, that uh, scientists uh, feel. I realized there's a great deal of drama and that there's also a tremendous amount of insecurity. And then I began to, 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 to understand that process and I, began, I, I could connect it to the creative process because you're going into realms, you're coming to understand things that kind of can't be articulated or, 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 or explained other than this notation that most people don't under, you know, can't grasp. I, I, and it's an act of creativity and discovery and it takes a kind of bravery. So we got to wrap this up. So Harrison, do you have any sort of deep thoughts you want to share with us about genius or well, creativity? Well, I did a little research into Einstein and realized his second wife was his cousin. So that blew my mind. <laughs> okay. So it turns out everybody has a little bit of a freak flag to fly, <laughs> including Einstein who married a woman who was his first and second cousin. So I feel a little bit better about where I stand. I didn't know there's such a flag. A freak flag. Is that what that yeah. is? I don't. I, I've never seen those flying. Uh, oh, I fly on many of them. I'll look for them. Uh, Jenna, what, what, uh, give us some parting thoughts. Well, this idea of genius, I think, is really appealing to us as human beings. Um, but it's fascinating to me to realize that if it hadn't have been Einstein, it would have been somebody. And um, and that's that's really important that that we remember that. And as much he gave us lots of special things besides just the discovery of relativity. He gave us a way of thinking about it, and that is unique to him. But um, but I do think that there's this yeah competition between the universe and us. And um, cage match. Yeah, and I think <laughs> the universe has like really good odds <laughs> <laughs> against us. <laughs> I'm betting on the universe on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Man versus the universe. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking the spread. <laughs> uh, um, I let me follow up on a point that you just mm -hmm. made. Often we see the word art and the word science conjoined. Mm -hmm. College of Arts and Sciences. So many universities have such a place. Uh, the history of art and science. They are two sides of the same coin. But there's actually a fundamental difference between the two of them. Um, let's take uh, Van Gogh's Starry Night, the painting. If he didn't paint that, no one else ever would or ever will. If Beethoven didn't compose his Ninth Symphony, no one else in a quadrillion years would compose the Ninth Symphony. But Einstein with all of the genius that he has manifested, if he were never born, someone or some combination of people would have come up with this special theory of relativity. Not as early as he did, it would take a little time. The general theory of relativity, which is one of the greatest achievements of the human mind, eventually someone would do that. So for me, scientific genius is not that you stand apart from everyone else, you just you arrived at the bus stop sooner than others. And so really, the discovery of the universe 
is for us all. It's just a matter of when, more than it is a matter of who. And that is a cosmic perspective. You've been listening to, possibly even watching, this episode of Star Talk, featuring my interview with Ron Howard at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, a couple of years ago. And we were talking about Einstein. I want to thank the organizers of that conference and Ron Howard himself for giving us his time. And let me thank my co-host, Harrison, thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure to be you gotta here. You've got to come back. We, I love this. I would love <laughs> to. Do this Anytime. again. Let, let's fly just keep freak, going. Fly your freak flag whenever you want yeah. on Star Talk. <laughs> and, oh, you want to keep going. You, you don't want to ignore the end times of the of the show. Oh, I was going to say, I know your office is now. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Jana, uh, you're just up the street, but you're too much of a stranger. you got to come back more often. I, I, I'll be here. Uh, anytime, anytime you put that light out in the sky, yeah, the, 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 bat, the bat light. The Neil signal. <laughs> so uh, thanks for coming back for this, and we'll surely tap your expertise again. Yeah, I've been your host, sure. Neil deGrasse Tyson. This has been Star Talk. And as always, I bid you to keep looking up. Star Talk.